0: questions about the book of the revelation. I really want to give you an opportunity to ask them. Um obviously a, a setting like this is difficult to have a discussion about a question especially you know we just we're, we're dealing with the book in a, a very broad structure. Um, but if you have a question I want to encourage you to to um to ask it. Um and so after service if you want to catch me and say I have a question about this um, I'm going to I'm going to do something I don't usually do which is that I'm going to make myself to available to try to answer those questions um, after the service. N- normally if somebody says comes to me about your service and says I have a question what do I usually say? Email it to me. <laughs> because I'm not going to remember. Today I we today's message is going to be real brief. We're not going to there's not a whole lot that we're doing and uh, and so we want to give you an opportunity t- if you have a question um, to ask it. So unlike Um, Most weeks I I go to the back of the auditorium And I stand back there and I say goodbye to everybody and shake hands Um, This week just shake one of the other elders hands And tell them to pass pass it along um, to me Um, But I'm going to hang out in the front of the auditorium So if you have questions about the revelation I want to answer them If if I've done such an absolutely extraordinary job with this That there are no questions um, I, I will be impressed with myself I this is a this is a very complex book, so I want to invite you to turn to the book of Revelation chapter 21. Um, we're not going to read everything. If you're visiting with us and you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the rack in front of you. Uh, page numbers are in the bulletins. Um, if you've been dipping your toe in and out of this series, uh, uh, first of all, I I hope you got something. Um, we've been we've spent 12 weeks in. In this book, today will be the twelfth week, um, and uh, we've really explored some huge themes. And the Apostle John brings all of those themes to an end. I think that God, in showing his visions to John, and I've talked with many of you, um, you know that uh, I actually believe, and I wouldn't take a bullet for this or anything, but I, I ha- actually believe that the revelation is the first thing that the Apostle John writes. Uh, I think that he's on the island of Patmos, Um, at the beginning of the book of the Revelation, and God reveals to him all that will come, all that will be, and that colors his perspective on his friend Jesus. Um, John was one of Jesus' most uh, closest friends. Uh, He actually calls himself the beloved disciple when he describes himself in uh, in his gospel. But I think these visions color the way that John tells the story of Jesus. Because he sees for um, possibly the first time the end of this theology that he's been developing, what we call Christology, the theology of Christ. He understands who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God, the, the, he is God the Son. He, he has gotten to a point of, of, of really understanding that. I think the early church understood that very quickly quickly. But to see him revealed as he is in the book of the Revelation transforms the way that John thinks. And so when he describes Jesus in his gospel, he describes him and in his epistles, he describes Jesus as light and life. Well, who would describe a human being that way? Um, you know, we, we, we use kind of these endearing terms oh, you're the light of my life. And that just means we have a deep emotional connection. John doesn't describe Jesus as the light of my life. He describes Jesus as light. He doesn't describe Jesus as, oh, you know, you're my life, I'm so happy. He describes him as the life. He doesn't describe Jesus as a true teacher. He describes Jesus as the truth. Right? So John has a transformational experience of Christ. And I, I think that that's the revelation. I could be completely wrong. I, I could get to the... To the eternal kingdom, um, and John walk up to me and go, "You misrepresented me." Um, it's very very possible that that could happen, um, but uh, I think that that's the way that it works. And um, so the revelation culminates in the vision of the New Jerusalem, in chapters twenty one and twenty two. We have this idea um, that is that is born out of medieval Christianity um, that. The eternal state to be present with God is to go somewhere to escape to get out and the modern mind has really processed that we have this this concept in our modern mind that we um, that we are above everything we are separated from the rest of creation we are somehow. Um not participants. We observe the creation, um, but we have lost this sense of us being participants in the creation. And this has given birth to all kinds of craziness. Um we you know, I'm not gonna get into the whole ecological thing because I'll I'll go off. But to John and in these revelations, we see something very different, something very extraordinary. In his sense of what does it mean to be with God for all eternity. And how, how it is described to John and how John transfers that to his practical life when he writes his gospel. And explains what it means to be a Christian. Remember that John is writing to the second and third generations of Christians. These are people that didn't walk with Jesus. They didn't know him. They didn't even live at the time that he lived. And so he has to he has to describe what it means to walk with Christ and to live as a Christian to people who have not never seen it physically. They've never engaged with it. John is the last, as near as we can tell, the last eyewitness of Jesus. And so he writes. Um, this vision down. God uses him, shows him this vision, and he writes it down. And we're going to look at it this morning. I want to invite you to just pray with me for just a minute. Father, as we look again to your word, may Christ be glorified. May these written words be used to reveal to us Christ, the living word. And that in knowing him, we might know you. And in knowing you, we might see ourselves as we are, and see our world as it is, and go about the work of the transformation that you have called us to bring into this world. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's just turn very briefly to Revelation chapter 21. The description... Um, of the new Jerusalem, this eternal state, is quite elaborate, and we simply don't have the time to get into all of it. There's a river, and there's trees, and there's uh, pavements, and there's gates of pearl, and single pearls that make up the gates. There's this gorgeous description, um, and people have asked me, you know, what does this symbolize? What do the golden streets symbolize? And I, I have this deeply profound sense that I believe that golden streets symbolize, golden streets um I have this this deeply profound sense that John is describing exactly what he saw. So when you read this read it Occam's razor, read it in the simplest possible way. Don't look for some kind of elaborate explanation. Um Occam's razor by the way, it means never seek a more complicated uh answer to a question than is necessary, all right? Um and so so just read it as it is. All right, read that description, glory in it. It's beautiful, but in chapter twenty one and verse one, John says, "I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Last week we talked about the destruction um how the old earth uh passes away and is consumed in fire um and uh and the the end comes. The first earth had passed away, the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And all the descriptions that come later, you can pile those in there. But verse 3 is where I want to sit. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their And then in verse 5 he makes another statement Behold, I am making all things new Now every time in the revelation Whenever a God or an angel says behold You need to look at that Because there's a a specific moment that's happening there And there's a pairing here Remember the rule of twos Anytime you see two things kind of close together You need to recognize that those two things are connected So we have two beholds here We have "Behold." The dwelling place of God is with man. And behold, I am making all things new. And those two things are tied together. Those two ideas are tied together. I want to share with you just a couple of reflections on this, these statements that hopefully tie up the book of Revelation for you. We have talked repeatedly how the book of the Revelation is about, has two themes. The exaltation of Christ and the encouragement of the church. And here we have a statement. He says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Now the Greek word um, which skini, is, which is the word that's translated here, dwelling place, um, is, is an interesting word. There's a Greek word for house, oikos. There's a, a Greek word for uh, temple, there's, there's, um there, there are words for uh, these kinds of things. But this word is very unique. It's an unusual word. John is the one who uses this word and the verb of it, um, He He's the one who uses it almost predominantly. And when I, when I went and started digging around in some other literature to find out how this is used in Greek, I discovered a very interesting thing about it. This is the description of... Um, it's the description of the place where life happens. Now today in our modern homes, we have all of these different rooms, right? We have, we have the kitchen, and we have the dining room, and we have the bedrooms, and we have the this and we have the that, and, and, and there are all these different spaces, and you know, the bigger the house, the more dusting there is to do, and, um, you know, and all this. this. This word, this idea, it, it comes from the idea of the place where life happens. Now for every family, there is a different place that life happens. Uh, for some families, you know, the CrossFit families, life happens in the basement gym. They get together and they work out and sweat, and this is great. Um, for some families, it's the music room or the game room. Or, or For some folks, and I, I, I guess the vast majority of people probably, the time you spend most of the time living together as a family, actual life happening, is probably around the kitchen table, right? That's where all of the various spheres of your world collide, Right? Um, because the kitchen table hopefully prayerfully there are no there are no iPhones beeping and going off there's no um, there's nobody off talking to their girlfriend instead of mingling with the family Um, everybody comes to the kitchen table or the dining room table and you sit and you eat now if they're teenagers odds are they sit and eat in solemn silence if they're if they're three or four years old they eat while bouncing all right the whole time there's no way to get them you're just kind of timing the spoon um, and hoping you don't <laughs> poke out an eye. Um, if it's if it's mom and dad, they're 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 eating, you know, kind of bleary eyed, trying to shift from work to um, to home life. And what do we have to do? And, but this is our place where life happens. For some families, it's the living room. I mean, if you grew up in the 50s and the 60s, the place that life happened, in fact, most families in those days didn't eat at the dining room table because they had invented this thing called the TV dinner and everybody ate in front of the television. That was where life happened. This is the idea of this word. It is that place in your living space where life happens, where living happens, that active space. Not that part of the house that nobody ever goes into because no matter how hard you try, you can never keep it clean, and so you just kind of pretend like it doesn't exist, you know, that that part of the house. Um, you know, no, 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 that, that room is not for guests. Um, you know, or uh, uh, we had, when I was growing up, we had my mom's sewing closet, um, which was this tiny space that I believe at some point there was a sewing machine in it um, at one point, point. But I am not making this up, and you could check with my sisters if you really want to. This room was so packed solid of stuff that you had to elbow the door open, reach in, and start pulling things out in order to be able to actually access this room. Um, It was just stuffed solid with stuff. You all have that closet, right? Where is is the ibuprofen? Oh, I think it's in the hallway closet. Oh, please don't let me open that. Don't make me open the hallway closet. Things are going to fall. It's like Schrodinger's cat. I don't know whether things are going to fall on me or if they have already fallen, but I'm leaving it alone. That's an intellectual. You can look up Schrodinger's cat later. Um, But this is this idea of this living space, this shared space, not some inactive space, not some empty space, but that active living space. You empty nesters know the difference between the living active space and the space that's the hollow that's left when all of those living acting children are gone. Right? Well, that's that's when, when 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 this voice says the dwelling place of God is now with man. It is that his primary living space That active, moving, living space is now with us. That no longer would the church or the believers in this description, no longer do they have to think of God as this great distant being that we appeal to, but rather he will be not simply manifest, but present. Now you cannot, well I guess we could comprehend this idea. For Jesus, he, uh, Jesus often described um, God as, when He tells parables, right? He often uses the description of an absent Lord, doesn't He? An absent Master. And one day the Master will return. One day the Master will come back. The Master gave out five talents and two talents and one talents, and He went off into a distant country. The, the Master had a vineyard and He went off, but He would return. All of these descriptions, it's because in our minds, God is, something, God is someone who is far away. He, he, he's distant from us, and we can only understand Him in that context. But the vision that John sees is that God takes up His dwelling place, His residence, not a vacation home, not a guest room, not a temple built by hands that He occasionally visited with His glory, excuse me, but His absolute presence. John uses the verb form of this. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, he says, The Word became flesh and He dwelt among us. He took up a living, active residence. See, when we look at what will be, We must recognize that what will be is simply the culmination of what is already here. Christ is already at work in His church. And when I describe the church as the new Jerusalem erupting from the ashes of fallen Babylon, I am not saying that one day somewhere along the line something glorious and wonderful will happen in creation. But rather that in Christ something glorious has already begun to happen in creation. The new Jerusalem already is erupting. It already is emerging. And you and I are the dwelling place of God. Christ has imbued the church with a supernatural presence of His ability and power and gift. His Holy Spirit moves us and shakes us and transforms us and challenges us, convicts us and breaks us and and, and, uh, elevates us. In everything that is happening in the church, God is at work. It is because we are called to be the living place of an active God. You say, well, it's hard to be the people of God in the midst of fallen Babylon. Of course it is. The ashes still smolder. Babylon is not yet fallen. It struggles and holds. It fights for every inch of our lives and our hearts that it can have the power of the evil one does not surrender easily. But we must not see our God as distant, but rather as coming. The living, the dwelling place of God is coming. It is being born in us because of Christ. The encouragement of the church that emerges out of the book of the Revelation is not a one day everything will be all right. One day God will fix all of the problems. One day, someday. It is a reality of the work of God moving toward an inevitable, sovereignly guided moment his presence. See, the distance between God and creation that we experience now is his choice. It is his gracious compassion upon us sinners that he is not present living and acting amongst us. Because the scriptures say that he, is, he, he cannot tolerate our trespasses and sins. And so He chose. And this, this blows my mind and it's something to think about. But God chose to separate Himself from creation, to give that creation every possible opportunity to seek Him. Because when He takes up residence, no righteousness can endure. When He takes up His dwelling place on earth, there will no longer be any space. There will be no longer any hidden spots. There will be no longer any dark crevices of our mind that we might lock off against. From He, he will not tolerate it. It will all go. And all that will be left is our righteousness in Christ. And if that is what is coming, then I guess we have a responsibility and privilege and honor to strive to live as if it is already here. See, that's what holiness is. Holiness is is not I do good things so that God will be happy with me. Holiness is knowing that I live and breathe because God, the Word, took up flesh and lived among us. And we are moving toward a presence, and it, it, God in His living space with us. And so we purge out the sin and the darkness in our hearts and our minds. Not because that is something we're supposed to do, obligated to do, responsible to do, guilty to do. But rather as we are drawn into the presence of our God, we recognize that those things have no place in his living place. And we are his people. And so we lay those things down to be with him. I wonder how painful it was for John. To see the revealed glory of Christ. And to recognize in himself someone who still had sin and darkness. That's why I think John writes in 1 John. He says, we'll walk in the light. He says, don't walk in darkness. He says we follow the light. Let's just get into the light. Let's go ahead and see our sin in our darkness. Let's go ahead and let that be manifest so that we can recognize it for what it is and take it out because God dwells among us. When John closes his letter, the Revelation, he hears one last voice. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 20. He who testifies these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And look at what John says. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. He encourages us. He extols us. He invites us to be the dwelling place of the Lord. Is it the end game? Is the church, the New Jerusalem, established and complete and done? No. We are not. We are broken and we are sinful and we are shattered and we don't always honor Christ the way that we should. We don't always see things the way that He calls us to see them. We don't always do the right thing. We often do the wrong thing. We often have good intentions, but bad actions. We are fallen and broken and corrupted, and yet in His grace, we, He transforms us. And who He is and His dwelling place and His, um, His active work in our world is still manifest in us, working inexcurably, in, in excru, in a lot. toward the end toward the end now all of that I offer you this one question do you live your life as if it is moving toward the new Jerusalem is your life moving toward the glory of God are your actions moving toward Or are we static or distracted? Is this a reality for us? Or is it something distant and nebulous and abstract? Well, the Revelation, that book we never get to because by the time we get to that part of the Bible, we're already bored reading. Or is this a reality for us that we are moving forward? toward the new Jerusalem, stumbling and bumbling our way toward the the inevitable, undeniable coming of the Lord. You say, what does that mean? I'll leave that to you to process and to mill about and to think about. But it is coming. Nothing on earth can stop the sovereignty of God. There is no power that can delay for a moment His time frame, His schedule, His plan. And what is happening now, it has shadows in the past, and it may happen again, but there is always an until. There is an end. It is coming. It is unavoidable. It is unstoppable. It is unchangeable. And we are invited on the journey toward the new Jerusalem. I know I throw a lot out to you this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Father, as we conclude this book... And bring to an end. Lord I pray that we would be encouraged. That our path leads to your praise. And your glory. That we would invite others into the walk. The journey. The road. That leads to the new Jerusalem. That this would be a reality to us. Not just something that happens somewhere along the line but that we know we are moving with your plan and your way for all of creation.